0: Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers' Society. I'm your host, Richie Belling, and today I'm delighted to bring the latest installments of our panel sessions, and this time we're talking all about characters. We look at how to create characters, how to grow them, how to get to know them, and how to learn their deepest, darkest secrets. Joining us for that panel was the brilliant, award-winning literary fantasy author, Karen Hewler. Karen is a fantastic creator of fictional people. And after our initial interview, which you can listen to a few episodes back, I couldn't help but invite her back to chat all about characters. Uh, Also joining me on the panel was the brilliant Isa O'Toni and Joshua Parker from our community. If you'd like to join our writing community yourself, then just click the link in the description We're very active on Discord and on there you can join critique groups that meet weekly, bi-weekly or monthly. And you can also join our panel sessions which are live events which happen once a month. So if you'd like to join just click the link in the description. Before we dive into today's panel session just a quick reminder that if you haven't already done so and you don't want to miss any future episodes just follow or subscribe on whatever you listen to the show on. If you like what we do and want us to keep doing it and keep doing more then please give us a quick rating on the Spotify mobile app or a review on iTunes, it goes a long way and it helped us an awful lot, so thank you very much if you've taken the time to do that. And if you'd like to support the show as well, a quick share on social media with anyone who you think may be interested, helps us out massively because we don't have a lot of money to spread the word, so the help of uh, listeners like your good self uh, makes a world of difference. And lastly, if you'd like to get more, beyond this podcast, check out our Patreon page, where you can find writing books, classes, workshops, articles, interviews, and much, much more. All different tiers for all different people. Again, just click the link in the description to learn more. That is all, let's dive into today's panel, and I'm delighted to welcome Josh, Isa, and Karen Hula. Welcome everyone to our third panel events. Uh, in the past we've looked at world building and literary agents and publishing and tonight we're looking all at creating and developing characters. Something that is very important to any story but it's probably one of the toughest things. Um, creating people that almost feel alive, it's almost like playing gods. So there are many different ways to create characters and that can cause frustration because it could leave people with questions like, am I doing it right? And um, for everyone has their own approach. And that's one of the best things about writing. Everyone's got different ways of doing things. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And to help me, I am thrilled to be joined by two brilliant members from our writing community. We've got Isa Otoni and Joshua Parker. And I'd like to offer a very big welcome to our special guest, award-winning Karen, uh, author, Karen Hewlett. Karen, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me here. It's such a pleasure to come back and talk to you again.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, I think since we had our chat for the uh, podcast, it was uh, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, I couldn't help but ask you back to, to get more insights. Um, I think before we dive in, let's uh, tell everyone a bit about ourselves. So, Josh, do you want to go first and introduce yourself?
2: Absolutely. So, as you know, my name is Joshua Parker. I have been writing seriously for a bit over a year now, working on a novel and a couple different short stories. I love the idea of fantasy writing. I love creating stories and creating experiences people remember and love. Awesome. Isaac, you
0: want to introduce yourself?
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Isa. I'm also a fantasy author. I also write a little bit of sci fi, sometimes horror. You can find my short stories in a couple of anthologies. This one's about pirates. Nice. And I'm also working on a novel. Characters are my favorite thing about writing, about reading. I love them. I fall for them. And I can't wait to learn more about them.
0: Oh, Amazing. And Karen, would you like to introduce yourself for anyone who's not familiar um, with you?
1: Yes. I write literary, fantasy, horror, science fiction, and magic realism, I guess. My uh, 11th, 12th, 13th books came out last year including a novel called Splendid City from Angry Robot which I'm very proud of Um, and I just bounced around a bit from genre to genre and wherever I land I'm happy
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's good it's a good way to to write isn't it just to see where your ideas take you it's it's something I've been experimenting with recently I've finished the project and I thought all right I'm going to do this next one sat down to do it and I just could not get into it and I just left it and then found myself reading all kinds of weird things and then getting into it that way, a new, completely new project. And it's it's great just to see where things take you, isn't it, in the writing game? So creating characters, it's quite a broad subject Um, and when I was thinking about this panel, I was sort of breaking it down into into two main parts. We've got the sort of creation process and then it's the, the sort of getting to know and grow our characters. We've had lots of great questions, but I think a good starting point is to discuss how we all approach creating characters. And I'll carry you, 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 someone who likes to focus a bit more on the plot. So uh, <laughs> what do you think I'm about creating characters? Yeah.
1: A plot person, and I usually start with an idea or image, but of course, an idea or image suggests the characters as well as the tone of the story. So almost always the idea or image includes the beginnings of the character of necessity um, and I guess at this point, they're mostly female. I do throw in some male characters as the protagonists every so often. The idea suggests which it is. And from there, I just try and make the the plot and the characters tied, tied to each other organically, I guess.
2: Yeah, there is.
0: I think the more I sort of read off about writing, the more... Uh, intertwined plotting is with the whole sort of creation process, because I suppose on a very basic level, we've got a, a protagonist who wants something. And that is the story of the story is them trying to get it. So that, that's what it, it's so interlinked, isn't it? I mean, Josh, Isa, have you got any um, approaches that you guys take when it comes to creating your characters?
3: I'm mostly uh, directed for the character and the plot comes afterwards. So the plot usually comes exactly as you said, from the want, what they want, why they can't have it, and what do they actually need. And I will build the plot around it, so like teach them a lesson. But but I figure it's different from short stories to novels when you have more time with the character. So for a lot of my short stories, I would just start with an archetype. So I have an archetype of a character. It might be a knight. It might be a dragon who doesn't want to be slaughtered. <laughs> it might be a pirate. And then I would try to find the person inside the ar- the, this archetype. So that's basically where I go for short
2: stories. Then
3: for novels, we have more time to get to know them.
2: Yeah, definitely. Josh, what about you? Yeah, I'm more similar to Karen in the sense that I really love and start with the plot and world building idea, um, something crazy and weird about the world or some brilliant idea for a plot. And then I sort of just discover my characters. I start with a very rough outline of what I want my character to be. And then the more I write the story and think about the plot and where it's taking me, I sort of discover the characters in a way and discover who they really are and what they're made of.
0: Yeah. So, how do you approach the process of forming that character in your mind? Would you guys start with the physical appearance, or would you more look at who they are,
2: like as a sort of individual? Well, for me, I actually don't think almost anything about the physical appearance. Maybe that's just how I write, but I actually don't like to include the physical appearance in my stories because I like the reader to be able to take that in any direction they want. So mostly I focus on how does my character think? How does my character act in certain situations? How does my character interact with others? And through that, I just think the more freedom you give to the reader, the greater your story is gonna be. Yeah.
0: That like sounds of that, yeah. What well, you, can.
1: You know, I'm, th- I'm thinking about them not being described because, of course, I don't have an MFA or anything. I just read a lot and started writing and I wrote for years. And then all of a sudden I thought I would teach. And I had to look up the rules for writing in order to teach <laughs> writing. And, you know, you are supposed to describe your characters. And I always go back and fill it in a little bit you know making sure that occasionally people have curly hair rather than straight that kind of thing and it's um it's interesting that you're saying that Josh about not describing your characters because i'm wondering whether i'm wondering how much of a need there really is to know what your character looks like you're you're saying you want your reader to be able to invest themselves in the character and perhaps project themselves into it and therefore Describing too finely would alienate them in some way, not allow them to be that character. And it's it, it's an interesting it's an interesting point, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it because it goes back to what I've been thinking about: are all our characters really us yeah. to some degree, um, or do we manipulate those parts of ourselves that we like more or like less to create the other characters? So I'm sort of, I'm I'm really interested in what you just said, and I'm going to have to think about whether I feel the need to really go back and put in descriptions when naturally, as I write forward my first draft, I don't have them
0: usually. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm quite uh, skimpy on the on the character descriptions unless they're sort of yeah. I t- sometimes I'll, I'll spend more time describing a side character than I'm on the main character. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's it's mm-hmm. something about a person will grab you. Sometimes it's their appearance. Sometimes it's the sound of the voice. Mm. It's just weird things like something that they might be doing might be odd, and that is sort that sort of grabs you a bit more than yeah. any one sort of physical thing about them. But yeah, it is interesting. Um, is it? What do you think?
3: I usually focus more on their personality, but I will have some like traits that I will feed the reader as I go. So I will never just like describe everything about the character from the get-go, but I, they will have these uh, distinguished features about them. So they will have, so the reader can tell each other apart, but it will be like one, two, three things that I will like wave into my narrative and especially if it's something that it's important or something that i can put into action for example so for if they have long hair it means something the long hair means something they will probably get it cut at some point and that that will have a meaning if the color of their eyes is different why is it different because if it's not it's just like normal eyes so i would yeah. probably just Pick one or two or three things that will impact the story in any other way, but, yeah. but those come later. I usually, I'm usually gonna focus more on who they are, how they see the world, because again, it depends on POV. So I might describe a side character more than my POV because they are looking at the other character. Mm-hmm. So I can describe it, but I. But they won't be describing themselves unless they're looking at you, or if you want that. But like, you know what I mean. So
0: yeah,
3: yeah, it's gonna take a while for you to get the whole picture of my characters as you go. But again, you start with some sort of archetype. Are they young? Are they old? You know, like are they uh, female, male, uh, whatever? uh, None of them. Both. Like who they are, more like in general terms, and then the physical, just like oh, this guy has long hair, oh, this girl is tall,
0: and whatever. Yeah. One one of the
1: things that I sort of learned um, is that descriptions of your characters doesn't stop at what what their faces look like. A lot of descriptions that I prefer are how they move. You know, is your character the kind of character that always has to be the first one to enter the room? Is your character the kind that stops in a doorway, hands out, looks around to get the scope of the room? What they physically, the way that they physically move in the world can tell us a lot more than um, whether they're attractive or not. Um, And physical movement gives you quick flashes of depth. You can see this character very quickly.
0: Yeah I, completely agree, yeah, I Yeah, we had, uh, I think it was around the time um, we had you on the show, Karen, uh, I interviewed that FBI agent. Yes. About body language. That and, was
1: wonderful. Yes. Yeah.
0: And he just gave so much, uh, so many insights into how significant nonverbal language is. And like just looking at how someone's walking, how their shoulders are they carrying the shoulders just like little things that you pointed out there Karen it's it's amazing that what you can get and I find when I'm reading stories like that you're not being fed the information you're having to think about what the writer has said to try and ascertain from body language for example what that person is about and it's just so much more interesting it's just what we do in real life like we're looking at someone who may be hovering around the doorway we don't know what for sure they're doing but it's interesting that we're thinking about it now <laughs> so yeah it's it's a very really great technique i think to reveal a lot to focus on the body language and the mannerisms and stuff and we did have a question about mannerisms and is that something that you use like I, in the past i've used um like things like when a character's nervous they'll bite the lip And that's just something that they've always done as a child, like since childhood, that they've always bitten the lips. Uh, Have you ever incorporated anything like that in your stories?
1: Well, I have that. This is about, uh, there was one story where uh, a woman had a strange disorder and the doctor always paused in the doorway with his hands on um, either side of the doorway. And he was somebody who basically was, grandstanding more than he was being a good doctor. So those sorts of things I, I like an awful lot uh, and I, I try to remind myself to do them
0: more. Yeah. I think everyone has their the own sort of little ticks or fidgety things. Like uh, when I'm impatient and I'm sitting down, I'll um, I sort of rock my legs quite like side to side. Um, it annoys people to hell but I find it really quite confident, I suppose um, what about you Josh, have you have you included anything like that in any of your writing?
2: to a degree um, I know with a lot of what I've read um, has been people that include that but then they don't include sort of the reason why in a sense and I think that's a key part even if it's subtext, that's really important to have is there has to be I think it's really key to have a reason for why your character does everything. So if they do bite their lip, why did they start that habit? Even if just you know that, it will come across in the writing. And so for me, in my writing, I, whenever I do mannerisms like that in my characters, I always try to make sure that it's not just some generic stereotypical thing like biting their lip without having that little hint of this is why it's unique to this character, and this is why this character does that. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I've never thought about it. I think I should probably incorporate this more in my stories. <laughs> but I will use body language as a way to avoid, like, describing a feeling or telling a feeling. So I will use things as, like, pacing or tapping your feet, you know, or just, like, doing like waving your hand in a way to just say what the the character is feeling, But I don't think I've done it like consistently, you know, like for a very long time for it to become a mannerism. But it's really interesting. I would probably just focus more on their voice and try to find like words or expressions that they use and others don't uh, to like tell them apart. But that's really interesting. Uh, I like that. I will think about
0: that. Yeah, I think one of the best bits of advice I've come across was in a, a book by a chef called Leihoss Yigri. And he said, don't um the the point is not to know what your character wants for breakfast. It's to know why they want that. And when you think mm-hmm. of it like that, it's exactly what you say, Josh. You You, you then start to think about this person as like they almost become alive then at this point because you understand them, what they like, what they don't like, but now you know why. And then all of a sudden it's it's a different dimension. And we were talking before about methods of creating characters. And one of my favorites is, is this thing called the bone structure. And it looks at three dimensions of a person, which is the the physiology, like how they obviously how they appear. Um, the sociology, so how the upbringing, the people you've hung around with, like friends, um, how, how all of that has influenced them growing up. And then the product of them, so is the psychology. And for me, the psychology is the most interesting part. It's like what makes people tick? I think that's why so many people like true crime. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you guys think about like, the psychology of characters and getting to grips with what makes your character tick? Karen, do you want to take us away there?
1: I think that's something that I'm always trying to include as part of the testing process. Uh, if Your characters, as well as your plot, have lots of tests in them. And one of the tests I'm always trying to make sure I hit is the, the test of the weak points of your character or the stress points of your character. Since we all have uh, learn behaviors that we automatically go to whether we approve of that behavior or not. So my characters have to have that as well. I hope they do. Anyway, um I'm I keep reminding myself that they don't just walk on stage and start quoting. Um they actually are are kind of bummed out about something and longing for something else and frustrated about something. And I should make sure to hit as much of that as I can. And that's I don't need to go back and explain everything. Um, To a certain extent, background doesn't interest me as much as where my characters are and what they want right now and why why they can't get what they want because it's usually some flaw in their own character, psychology, whatever you want to call it.
2: That's fascinating because for me, I like to start with the background actually the background of the character, and I like to see how that shapes their psychology in the sense of what events in their past and the people they've been with and possibly trauma they've gone through has affected how they are today. And like you were saying about the stress points, I think that's so crucial to developing the psychology of your character because I think that's one of the best ways to develop a good story um, that has great characters is to really hit those stress points, right? I mean, the great, greatest stories are when the characters in them go through the worst things possible. And the worst things possible, to know what the worst things possible are, it's individual to each character and what their stress points and their psychology is.
1: So Josh, if I might jump, jump in, since you're so interested in the backgrounds of your characters, do you start in Medias Res* or do you start earlier or do you just introduce it naturally as it comes
2: up? I start in media res, so I love starting in the middle of the scene, but I also I try to almost do thought flashbacks in the sense of, okay, what's happening in this scene, and then showing maybe how the past, their past is influencing them in that scene, mostly through thoughts. But also maybe through dialogue if there's someone another character that also went through the same past experience with them to sort of introduce that if it's relevant to the scene and that's how i like to introduce it without being boring or info dumping it
0: yeah it's tricky <laughs> especially if you're if you in an, in the early part of a story especially you're always worried about striking the balance on your back between Revealing too much about a character and not revealing enough because you need the reader to care. Um, It is quite tricky doing that in the early chapters. Have you got any tips on that, uh, Karen? Uh, Getting also introducing the character to the readers in those early scenes.
1: I don't. I, I suspect that Josh and I really aren't looking for the same kinds of things when we introduce characters. I, as I've mentioned a number of times, I do tend to want to get into the heart of the action yeah. um, and and then sort of drag along the characters uh, instead of getting to the heart of the characters and drag along the action. so a lot of of uh, you mentioned dialogue, for instance, for me, dialogue is pivotal. Um, and I reveal dialogue reveals the story for me more than anything else, and it also, of course, reveals characters more than any. More than most things for me. So I'd say dialogue is my natural inclination when I really want to reveal something about a character and what that character wants. It, and if I want to reveal flaws as well, for instance, in is easy to get in dialogue. Um, so I'd say I lean an awful lot on dialogue to get the idea of the character across and to get the idea of, of the weaknesses and strengths across.
0: Yeah, that's cool. What about you? Is that, you've had some good success with your short stories lately, haven't you? And that's—I find short stories one of the hardest things to do uh, when it comes to like introducing characters. So, how, how have you approached it in your recent uh, tales?
3: I think a lot of novelists they are afraid of short stories because of the word limit. <laughs> because you have like this this amount of word too to show everything. But for me. I, as I said, I start with an archetype. I don't need much out of it. I have this faintest idea of who this character is. And then I'm going to put them in a scene, in a place. So I'm going to ground the reader and say they are here. They are doing this. And this is their goal. When, I, when they have this strong sense of uh, who this person is right now, it doesn't matter anything else. like They are here. They are doing this. Then I can sleep in some stories, but just like it's the minimal, it's the minimal that they they need to understand. So, for example, I have one short story. It's not out yet, but it will be soon, about this old man in the future struggling with technology. So he's struggling to understand the technology around him because he's from our time and our technology is different. So that's, that's the idea that I have. While he's trying to talk to the machine that he can't, he thinks about stuff, so I sleep in some inner monologue. I say, like. Ah, this is not working as it used to be, like I need to talk to my child, but I can't what's going on because he's confused and then I bring action again and then we have action and then dialogue, as Karen said, it's so important in convince so much. So it's this balance between showing a little bit of action and then a little bit of history and then a little bit of action and then a little bit of history and you weigh those. But again, it's the bare minimum. You, yeah. You're just going to have to be very economical. And then the reader fills feel in everything else. You don't need much more than this, you know, yeah. but it's hard. It's hard to find the balance, but it's I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: is it's a it's a tricky game i think one of the biggest things that we need to do as far as as writers when we're creating these people is to make the characters likable in some way even if they're not good people and that is a hard thing to do so what guys what do you think what do you like to focus on or what things have you employed in the past that have helped make your character (laughs) likable
3: I would argue that they don't actually have to be likable. They have to be relatable. There has oh, to be something in them that you relate to some piece of humanity that you get. So you might not agree with them, but you get them. And I think that's, that's the trick, you know, like if they're likable, great. But they yeah. don't necessarily have to be. Yeah.
2: Yes. Actually, when I think of that point, that's a brilliant point, Isa. And I think of the book. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the prequel to the Horror Games trilogy. I don't know how many of you have read that, but the author does a brilliant job of showing the story of someone you know to end up as a villain from the trilogy, and she makes you root for him, even though she shows him being selfish and really not a likable person throughout the whole story. And I think that what you said is absolutely true, Isa. She shows Snow, who is the character, going through relatable things, even though it doesn't take place in our time uh, and in the circumstances we go through. But he goes through relational issues and different things that make us root for him and love him, even though we hate him at the same time. And I think if we can achieve that, where we can create relatable experiences while still maybe not making him, um, a, your character likable I really think that's the top tier of character creation Karen what do you think?
1: Well I, I've, I've been accused of unlikable characters so often that it just makes me want to sigh um, <laughs> and you know maybe have to go and add to my list of things to go back to make sure they're relatable don't the care about all, the like- yeah. You know, for me, the word likable is charged. And I'm not sure that that goes to the core of why some people don't like some of my characters. Uh, If you don't sort of, uh, this sounds so egotistic, but if you don't fit the marketing description easily, um, people try to find a reason for why you're not fitting in. And they'll just grasp at things. And yeah. sometimes they really don't mean that the characters are unlikable. They mean there's something distancing about the characters so that they don't feel pulled in. Perhaps that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I'm, I love a good book where I could just fall into it and just feel comfortable in that world and want to stay in that world. But I'm also interested in stories that are a bit more challenging. Um, that take a little bit of work. And I think potentially some readers are not willing to do any amount of work at all. And they easily leave the, the book. They'll go on to something that's more comfortable for them. And maybe that's where the likability thing gets thrown at us is the book is not as comfortable as I want a book I'm reading to be. Therefore I don't like it and I'm out.
2: Yeah. And it,
1: it may have more to do with finding the genre that really pleases you the most and you're just in the wrong genre, whatever, I don't know. But likability has been a charge. I know I'm taking too long, but there was this, about 20 years ago, and I can never remember the book, a book came out. and It was blasted all over. It was an important female writer whose name, I of course, I can't remember at the moment. Um, but all the reviews were complaining that, her character wasn't likable. And there was a, a wave of women reviewers rising up to say, You're not bothered by Humbert Humber in Lolita, who's a terribly unlikable character. You're not bothered by that. Oh, a bunch of other books where there were unlikable male characters who were the stars of the show, but they're classics taught in school. Yeah. So you're bothered by unlikable male characters you're only bothered by unlikable female characters and i think there's that's part of what also is going on is if you identify with somebody who is by the way unlikable then it's okay if 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 you're basically in the ruling class but if you identify with somebody who is not in the ruling class and they're unlikable what you focus on is that they're unlikable um and you you don't believe your part of the same society they are if that makes any i don't know if that makes any sense at all but likeable likability is such it's such i think it takes on a lot more weight because it's not really describing the thing that's happening
0: yeah i completely agree yeah it's oh. it's something that i come across an awful lot when people talk about creating characters i oh, make them likeable but like you, like you say it's not Relatability is more important, and I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, and for the reasons you said there, Karen, like likability is a bit of a difficult way to describe it, and um, because there's all different types of characters, some of them aren't likable, but some of them we can relate to them very much, yeah. so yeah.
3: I think you, we, you achieve, you can achieve this uh, relatability with flaws because flaws is what makes us human, you know, and that's how we connect. So this from a, a reader point of view, not writer, but a reader, I love romance, like any type of romance. I love it. And I tend to fall for the love interests who are flawed. Those who are too perfect, too nice, too round yeah. up, I don't like it. I like those who have all those who have flaws who feel real. So I think that's that's how you can try to manage some relatability like with their flaws. Um, yeah. because we're all human. We're all flawed, so.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ah, well, I think we've uh, we've covered character creation in quite a bit of detail. So it's a good time to move on to the other part then, which is growing and developing characters. And it's something that a lot of us find quite satisfying, as writers and as readers, seeing characters who are completely different by the end of the story. And it's a difficult thing to do, but um, yeah, you wants to tackle character growth first. Any any tips on getting those characters to change in your story? Is well, it... I'm
1: I'm there right now in what I'm writing right now because I, I realize I this whole business. I said earlier, giving a character a free ride. You know, it's easy to do that with quirky characters who are great at dialogue. Um, But I also have to remember, and that's where I am now with both main characters, is that I have to make sure that the one who's so funny and quirky gets challenged and the one who's sort of impatient and not always likable also gets challenged so that we can relate more to her, as Eva was saying earlier. Um, And that for me, that means I have to take a step back and look at my characters and say, "Okay, who are these people? What do these people want? What do they want immediately? And what do they want six months from now? Any time figure will will do the same thing. And I think looking at them as people and figuring out what it is they want outside of the story itself uh, helps me to try and figure out what are the various tests that they will encounter along the way and how to slip them in mm.
2: so it's like
1: what's your five-year plan
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know when i think about the change of characters i my mind immediately goes to a specific series i recently read called the Raira revelations and it's a six book series with the best characters i've ever read the best character duo and their partners their thieves And one is an honorable, sort of, he cares about, he wants to do things for right reasons and he wants to help people. And the other one is just basically an assassin and he just wants to kill people because he hates everyone, mostly. And so you have two different characters that are foils to each other. And each of them changes throughout the story. And I think the biggest way they change is that they reach their goal and realize it's not enough. Um, They attain what they desire and it ends up not being what they thought and not being worth it. And when they reach that point, that is the dark night of the soul of all dark nights of the soul. Because even when in real life, when we think that something on Earth is gonna give us fulfillment, right and then it doesn't that's life-changing and it's going to be life-changing for characters too and so i think that that is the biggest way to change a character and wherever you take that from that point onward if you get to that point you will always have a change yeah I challenge the beliefs I
3: challenge the, the misbeliefs especially because characters will have their misbeliefs and You throw the plot (laughs) to challenge that. Um, I would say track your progress. I think that's really important because you don't want a character to spend the whole story flat and then change or like change in the beginning and then you don't have a story anymore. So you want to see some progress. So if you can track how they slowly change a little bit chapter by chapter to have like the big change in the end, climax or whatever, it's great. If you're writing short stories, one thing to change is enough. So you're going to have one arc. You meet the end and it's fine. If you have a longer book, perhaps you can think about like more goals. So as Josh, Joshua said, they reach a goal, but they need a new one. So they're going to need a new set, a new um, thing to do or to change. Uh, more than one flaw that they can go, and again, not a linear progress. They ups and goes, ups and goes, but you need a progress throughout
2: in
0: uh, yeah. your story. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Because I always struggled with the sort of idea or the mechanics of showing the growth in the story, mm-hmm. um, and then someone pointed out to me, "It's like, oh, why don't you look at it like this?" And it's basically like a graph. This is the way I map out sort of emotional reactions and tracking emotions because we are emotional creatures, aren't we, human beings? So we are very much dictated by how we think, think and feel about things. But um, what I'd sort of do is if there's a sort of a point of conflict in the story, I'll sort of measure how the characters responded to that. So if it's a positive outcome, then they might grow as a character. They might get more confidence and they might learn new skills um and they're going to be in a better position than they were before that interaction whereas if you've got something that might be quite traumatic so they might have um had a a sort of near-death experience like a a ambushed and nearly killed in the street for example that's gonna knock their confidence it's gonna make them doubt their abilities they might get injured so they're going to be in a a much worse off position before that so tracking it like that has really helped me sort of see the peaks and troughs and how the characters grown. And I think Josh, you asked about character arcs and creating a basic character arc for your story. And this is what I sort of use to track the arc. And you can sort of see from the start, like one of my novels, Pirate Lament, I've got a character who starts off at the very, very bottom. And she, as the story progresses, she sort of reaches a, a, a high position. Uh, on the sort of graph um, so her story is one of growth whereas the other character in the story he has a fall from grace and it is it is more of a redemption arc where he falls to the bottom from the top and has to work his way back to the where he was Um, so there's all different ways you can approach it character arcs are a great way to sort of plot it all out in your mind and does anyone else use character arcs? i've never done
3: the graph but I have it in my mind. <laughs> I yeah. think it's brilliant. Yeah, I think a way you can show change in this graph is with decisions, right? Like the decisions the character make, it will show how they change. So they might make a decision in the beginning. And then in the end, they are faced with the same choice and they have a different decision there. So I think that's, that's a great way to show this change.
0: Yeah. What do you think, Karen?
3: You
1: know, it's, it's a funny thing. As I mentioned, you know, I don't have an MFA or anything like that. So and I've been writing for 30 years or more before I started teaching it and had to learn what the rules were. And I don't think of rules when I write. and I, I'm sort of curious. It sounds like. It sounds like you do. At when you're writing, and it sounds, Josh, perhaps you do, and maybe Eva, you do. So, th- this is my question back to you. I don't think about rules. I don't think about the stuff that you've learned if you uh, went for an MFA or went for um, writing classes, undergraduate or whatever. Do you actively think of rules while you're writing, or is this something you do subsequently?
0: No, I never or think of do. anything, I just write and what comes out comes out and then if I'm finding when I'm editing like if I'm using too many adjectives and little things that I've picked up over the years that I've sort of sunk into this sort of subconscious I sort of instinctively pick up on them things but yeah I am quite a free writer and I'm, I'm starting to plot a lot less and just letting the story unfold as the sort of characters come out of the shells a bit more. So yeah, I, I, I'm I like you, Karen. I don't write with any rules in mind.
2: Yeah, I'm sort of actually the same way. I, I like to say it's more of an instinct. Um, I just, I can feel like it's right. When I was in school, I, like even now, I don't really know a lot of the grammatical or the correct like sentence structure rules and how a structure, sentence should be structured or paragraphs or all that. Uh, more rule-based stuff, but I have an intuitive sense at what feels right. And it's sort of the same with the story. So for me, I just honestly just think, does this feel right with what I've read in the past from stories I love and how it relates to my ideas in my brain?
3: Uh, I've never taken classes. Everything I know I've learned online, from my classes online, books of everything but I do use the things that make sense for me so whenever I come across a rule not a rule but like a tip that I say oh that makes sense I will probably apply it uh, in my work I will probably use it I will keep it I don't plot anything I should probably but I don't plot I have like things in my mind and I'm basically a penster. That's, that's how they say it, right? It works marvelous for short stories. It's great. Yeah. I can keep everything tied up with a thousand, yeah. two thousand, three thousand words. But I've been working on a book. So I wrote the whole thing. And now I had to come back and report it, make sure that everything works, the acts and everything else. <laughs> so, so it's, it's
2: yeah.
1: Is it fair to say for all of us as writers that we go and write without? Um, benchmarking ourselves against rules. But then when we're finished and we go back and revise, that's when all of the antennae go up, our rule books come out and we make sure we're hitting um, what we consider to be the most important elements of writing.
3: I think so. Otherwise you get stuck. I think if you keep like the rules, the rules, you might get stuck and never finish the draft. So like just write it out and then you think about it, what works or, Doesn't work at least for me. It's perfect. I use my friends, my writing groups to point out things that I am blind to because we all have like blind spots. So they will help me develop it. Um, Yeah, probably revisions and editings is when I come up with the 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 structure that I didn't think about while writing.
0: Yeah, I'm exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah, just try and I just try, especially with any drafts. I just try and not encounter any obstacles whatsoever because sometimes you just start and the drafting process is, is an obstacle in itself that you need to overcome. So we don't want any extra distractions along the way to derail you. And <laughs> you
1: know, there are writers who love revising. And for me, revising is the hardest, worst part because in revising, I really have to pull everything tight together and make all parts of it work. Whereas in writing, I could say, oh, well, I'll fix that later. <laughs>
2: you
0: yeah. Oh, know, yeah. that's actually definitely really fascinating
2: because for me, I'm still working on my first novel, so I've never finished the first draft, which is, I'm working at it. But I actually think I would be the type of person that enjoys revising more than the first draft because I love making stuff work together. And I yeah. love filling those plot holes mm. and making everything pretty. Yeah,
0: it's definitely... If you have got the patience for it, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a skill to um, to.
3: And I would say the first draft is really important to get to know your characters, right? Because like you can make spreadsheets and like interview your character or whatever, but you only get to know them in action. So put your characters in a- action, see how they react, and then you're gonna have a better picture of who they are. Okay, now let's make this work. Let's let's uh, make this look intentional.
0: But it's going to look
3: intentional. Yeah, it's going to look like I had a plan all along.
0: Right. It is true, though, that you can only do so much. Like, it is the sort of writing the theory of your character is the design of them. It's only when you sort of test them, put them through these things and realize, oh, actually, that doesn't quite work. He wouldn't react like that. She wouldn't react like that. That's how you, you get to know them properly. And when you come to do that edit, it's, I find it a lot easier because you know them, the more alive uh, and you've got a clearer voice, I suppose, they in your mind. And that can be a really tricky thing. I know it's you had a question about characters' voices. And Karen, yeah. you're someone who is great at sort of finding that unique voice of a character. Is that, is that something that has always, always come naturally to you when you've been thinking about your, your characters?
1: Well, I think I've mentioned too before, I apologize for repeating myself, but an awful lot, if I don't start with an image, I start with dialogue. And that's basically how I get a lot of the stories and even some of the novels is there's dialogue that's interesting me. So right from the get go, I've got characters announcing themselves in their own individual voices. So most characters start with some piece of dialogue that in my head, find something about them that allows me to make them more fully fleshed as I go along. Um, so I don't often see them; I hear them before anything else. And I've already forgotten what your question was,
0: Richie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that, like, how do you find the unique voice? Because
2: I've I've yeah. seen like a few. They come, yeah,
1: they come with a voice usually.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. man, that sounds that sounds like a blessing. Because for me. I always struggle with that. I struggle with all my characters having the same voice, in the sense. Um, my voice, almost. And it's just a struggle to create distinct voices. And one book I always um, I hold up for a brilliant way of doing character voices is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. If you've read that book, it's absolutely brilliant. It's the same person, the same mind in seven bodies and he's influenced by each character and so while it's the same person it's mixed with different character voices i mean if you want to study how to write character voices i think that's a great book to look at but yeah for me it's always been a challenge yeah i agree with that one
3: <laughs> i will use some um, some words and expressions that is just for one of them so this person uses this expression. When they say this, this person doesn't going to use something else. I also try to vary like the length of my sentences. So I have characters who speak like in short sentences, like just one word and others who are going to spend more time like repeating themselves or whatever. But again, that's for revisions. Uh, I would like to have more this like uh, hearing their voices. I think that's, that's a great way of actually uh, crafting memorable vo- a characters' voices.
2: Yeah. You know, that's actually fascinating because I have an interesting question for you then. How do you avoid getting your characters in the stereotypes? Because it sounds like you give them specific um, uh, attributes for how they are. So, how do you avoid those different stereotypical attributes?
3: I'm going to try to be very careful of stereotypes. That's never something I want to do. But again, English is my second language. So, I don't carry a lot of those bias that you guys probably carry. Like, I hear stuff from all over the world and I might just use something that is British and then mix with something <laughs> that is American without knowing. <laughs> but for instance, I would have like a older woman, uh, this witch, and she's going to call the younger witch girl. So that's how girl comes here, girl. And when a boy comes here, because she's older. So I'm putting that in her dialogue. And then for my young witch, she's going to say things like, yes. Because she's rich and she says, yes. Um, the other boy is going to say, I, you know, like I. <laughs> so it's going to use something that is more informal. So that's basically what I'm going to do. So if it's someone like the witch is going to speak longer, she, every time she, she teaches lessons. So you got to listen to her when she speaks because she likes it. You know, yeah. the boy, no, the person is going to say something. Yeah, I, come on, it's over. Yeah. And then they move on. Something in these lines, but yes, I do try to
0: avoid the stereotypes at all costs, yeah, and uh, we also have a, a question about side characters. I think this is a good one to finish on, um uh, because sometimes the side characters can steal a show <laughs> and uh, it is it's it can also make you well, like particularly in fantasy if you've got these sort of all sorts of, almost sorts of Uh, live and breathe inside characters. It it makes your world feel alive and it makes it more immersive. So what's everyone's sort of approach to creating side characters and sort of giving little snapshots into those characters' lives? Who wants to tackle that one? Go on, Josh, have you got any insights on side characters?
2: Well, I think the important thing to do with side characters is somehow either move the plot forward or move the the main character forward. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is have them interact in a way with the main character that has some form of conflict. Or, I don't know how to say this, but like anti-conflict. So they work well together, or they work not well together. And... I must admit I don't have a ton of experience with this, but what I love to do is use them to sort of bounce off my main character's actions. So if my side character reacts one way, or I create my side character in a way that he acts or she acts in a certain way, I want to see how my main character reacts to that. And so I want to create a wide variety of people for my side characters so my and C has a lot of opportunities to react differently.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. What do you think about Karen? Uh, Side characters, Karen.
1: Uh, I I agree with what Josh was saying that you know involving some um, conflict between peripheral characters and the main characters is a good way of doing it. And and I'm having uh, right now. I'm writing a book with, that includes a coven of witches. So where there are groups of people. And I always find groups of people to be very difficult. Um, if you have, say, eight or nine or ten women in a coven, you either focus on three or four of them and, and sort of make the other shadows in the background, or you try and make them all alive. And I, I think I'm going to give up on trying to make them all alive. Um, yeah. It's just it's hard for the reader as well. They keep trying to keep a mental scorecard of who is this one? Who is that one? So I have to sort of step back and say, forget this. Um, There are four, maybe five characters that we need to keep track of. Let the rest of them go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, just as Josh was describing, yes, there has to be interaction between them that makes their being there reasonable. And a lot of the time, somebody wants something, the other one disagrees. And that's how you start developing all the characters and making them uh, more apparent to the reader.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it's purpose. Uh, What's the purpose of the character in that given scene or that given story? Again, the bare minimum. So just have the characters that you absolutely need. Uh, No filler there. And I agree also with Joshua. The relationship with the MC, I think, is the most important. And if you can have also some uh, foils, right? I think Joshua was talking about that as well. So if your MC has this type of personality, put someone who is the complete opposite and see how they interact. So you don't have like everyone the same. So if one is hot headed, the one is, is going to be more laid back, and they're going to like pull and push against each other. I think that's, that's the way to go. Um, I discover most of my side characters when I'm writing a scene and I go, oh, I need someone here. And then there is someone. And then that someone is amazing. So let's just keep them and see what else yeah. comes along.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've been reading uh, a book called The Street Razor Cure by Daniel Polanski. And I found he, he's, does, uh, he's brilliant when it comes to side characters. What he'll do is... Just pick out one distinguishing feature about that character, yeah. um, and just mention it. Um, and uses dialogue very well to characterise that person, and also like non-verbal language like body language and stuff like that. And I found that really good. Just like one, not even like a, a full sentence, maybe half a sentence or a couple of adjectives, just to give you a sense of what this character looks like, but. Picking the right features. So, for example, he might have a big gut. So that tells you more, like, is he quite a greedy person? Is he a bit gluttonous? He loves his food kind of thing. So you can sort of extrapolate quite a lot from picking the right details. And like as I said, when, when you're dealing with these fleeting characters, you've got to be quite particular with what you choose, haven't you? <laughs> you, you can't be putting reams in about characters who are just going to less out of it again in a a few I
3: think yeah (laughs) I think that I picked online is to think about who this character would be without the story so if the story had never crossed their path where would they be and I think that helps a lot to flesh out those characters because they're going to have their own hopes and dreams and things that they want if your MC hadn't just like run them over with your plot yeah yeah
0: it really ha- it helps me uh, see who they are. Nice. Well, guys, it's been a fantastic chat. Um, I think we've covered an awful lot about characters and I've learned loads, as I always do on these uh, on these events. It's fantastic. Thank you very much for all taking part. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, too. Yeah, that was amazing. I thank you. Sir. No, 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 it's
3: fine.
1: It's always yeah. a pleasure chatting with you. I mean you have such good and interesting and provocative questions that it always leads to such a great conversation so i I thank you
0: oh, thank you very much Karen. I really appreciate you giving up your time. I know you're very busy um and it's we learn an awful lot from great writers like yourself and i, I so I, I I love chatting with with people who uh who have Got great experience, great insights like yourself, and you, you
2: do learn so much. So really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's, thanks for having us on, Richie. I really appreciate it. It's been a brilliant time and I've learned a lot. Oh,
0: awesome. Thank you very much for everyone. And uh, where's the if we can find out a bit more about yourselves, where's the best place to look? Karen, do you want to go first?
1: Oh, yeah. www.karenhuler.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-H eule
0: Nice. Isa?
3: I'm Isa. You can find me on Instagram. I'm always there at Isa Otoni writes. Also my website is Otoni writes. You can check my published short stories, have some fun and
2: <laughs> just say hi. <laughs> awesome. And Josh? Yeah, you can mostly find me on Richie Billings' Discord channel. I'm just around, ready to answer questions and help people get set up in writing groups. And then you can also find some fantasy maps that I draw at ontheedgebusiness.wordpress.com. Awesome. Thank
0: you very much, everyone. It's been fantastic, and thank you, everyone, for listening. A big thank you to Isa, Josh, and Karen. It was such a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did listening at home, too. If you'd like to join our writing community and um, to chat with the likes of myself these a josh karen and other brilliant panelists that we've had as well as come to the live panel events where you can ask questions just click the link in the description to join our community you can also join weekly or bi-weekly critique groups get feedback on your stories and discuss ideas with like-minded people there's not many places that you can do that for writers so It is a great place, great opportunity for you to network and uh, befriend some writers. If you enjoyed today's show, uh, a quick rating on the Spotify mobile app goes a long way or a review on iTunes. Thank you very much if you do that. And uh, sharing this episode on social media or telling anyone who you think may be interested about it also helps us an awful lot. So again, thank you for doing that if you do so. And lastly, if you'd like to get more beyond the show, check out Patreon. You can find books, classes, workshops guides interviews all on fantasy writing lots of insights there to fact to unearth so just click the link in the description to find out more there and that is about all for today thank you very much for listening we'll be back on the 14th of september with a, a brand new episode and until then keep on scribbling